You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joined today by a very, very special guest. It's none other than Football London's Kaya Kainak. Kaya, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? I'm great, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Really looking forward to this. No, the pleasure is all mine. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great because we arranged this podcast. We arranged to to have this conversation today. And we bumped into each other last night yeah. for the first time in person, which was incredible, uh, at the world premiere of the brand new Arsene Wenger film, Arsene Wenger Invincible. Um, before we talk a little bit about The Night, Kaya, it was, it's, well, it is a fantastic movie, isn't it? I mean, that was the second time I'd seen it. And I thought going into it that I would be maybe a little bit disappointed because, or not disappointed, but maybe a little bit underwhelmed because I'd already seen it. And I was almost envious of all the people in the room that hadn't seen it. But actually, I enjoyed it just as much, maybe a little bit more the second time around. Yeah, sometimes it's good to see a film a second time because you notice things that you didn't really see the first time out. And you, when you know what's coming up, you know what to expect. And yeah, I think the greatest films you'll watch hundreds and hundreds of times over and over. So I think this is something that I know as someone who covers Arsenal, as an Arsenal fan, I think it's it's sort of necessary viewing for any Arsenal fan. I'm, I'm probably going to be watching it countless times again and again, just because it's quite easy for these kind of documentaries to sort of become hero worship and just focusing so much on their subject and actually just trying to praise him. And I think this is quite good at dealing with both sides of Wenger. So we obviously know all the early stuff, the doubles, the invincible season, all the early success, but then you, you can't really talk about the highs without talking about the lows as well. And I think this documentary does it well. It doesn't go overboard in the criticism. It doesn't go overboard in the praise. I think it finds that balance really nicely. And yeah, I'm excited to hear what everyone else thinks when it comes out. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it, it finds the perfect balance between both sides. And I think you see a more human side to Wenger in this. You know, the way the film is made is brilliant. And I know... You know, there are a few moments where I felt a little bit sad. And I think yeah. I look back at the period at which he was essentially moved on. And I feel a little bit guilty that somebody who gave us so much had to leave in that manner. And he describes in the film, without giving too much away, that final game at the Emirates being like a funeral. And that kind of, that really resonated with me because it makes you feel like, it, 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 he said it, didn't he? He said, People are always nice to you when you're born and they're nice to you when you die. <laughs> and it was really, really moving. I mean, do you feel like Arsene Wenger, based on the way it was kind of, you know, put across in the film, still feels that kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but that disconnect with Arsenal and like he can't go back? Yeah, it's tricky because the word that comes to mind is bitterness, but I don't want to say bitterness because I think that has a lot more negative connotations than the film necessarily presents but he seems kind of I guess not wholly happy with how things ended which is really sad because he should be proud of what he did at Arsenal Football Club and Arsenal wouldn't be the club they are today without him having come in and been their greatest ever manager one of the most interesting things for me was he says in the film you talk to 
winners that he's met in his life and they won't tell you about the wins they'll only tell you about the defeats and the losses and it's it's quite saddening that what he focuses on and what he remembers maybe because it was at the end but it seems that what's really lingering with him and is on his mind is that end like you say and I think from the outside looking in on that final game against Burnley and sort of the build-up everyone was being so nice and positive and we all thought that he was sort of caught up in that and happy and sort of he'd accepted that it was his time. But it's quite interesting to think that wasn't what was going through his head. He was quite sad to be going, quite upset that it was ending the way it was. And when you think about it that way, and he talks about his regrets and all the clubs he could have gone to and how he feels he maybe should have gone to some of those clubs. Yeah, I think it does leave you quite sad. And it left me a little bit sad for him. And I guess, yeah, guilty is the word that does come to mind as well, just because... The way that end was handled, I, it's always tricky because Sir Alex Ferguson, who's also in the documentary and is a fantastic interview as well. I think that really adds to the documentary having him in there. But the way he went out at Manchester United was obviously the best way you could go out, won the Premier League, got his standing ovation in front of everyone with all the players who he'd raised in the class of 92. Wenger didn't really get that sort of luxury. I think Arsenal finished sixth, was it, in his last season? That game against Burnley was enough to secure them just about Europa League qualification for the season after. So it was a lot less glamorous. And endings normally are like that. And Sierra Henry says that in the film. Endings normally are a bit downbeat. And it's it's sad to think because we all think of that those last few months of Arsene Wenger's time as being quite positive and quite happy. It's, it's sad to think that he didn't necessarily see it in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. I think what was interesting for me, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the event itself, was... We know that Arsenal as a football club had tweeted out, you know, links to this film and, and some promo bits to this uh, around this film in the, the kind of build up to the premiere. What I found really interesting was the attendance of Arteta, Edu and Vinay, because at the London Palladium the night before, and I was at that event, an audience with Arsene Wenger and David Dean, there was no real representation from the current Arsenal hierarchy. And... I don't know if that's because David Dean was one of the focal characters and we know that, you know, the way he left the club is not, uh, has left a bit of a bitter taste on both sides. But I thought that this, this night and this event and the fact that those three guys turned up was partly because of the respect that Edu and Arteta will undoubtedly have for Arsene Wenger. But also, I feel like it was a bit of an, an extension of an olive branch to Arsene Wenger, as if to say, we... No, it didn't end the way it did. It, it, you wanted it to. And it wasn't the way we wanted it to. But we are the new, new kids on the block, essentially. And we have no issue with you coming back to the club. Maybe not in an, an official capacity, but to visit, to, to watch games, to, to be at the Emirates Stadium. Did you get that vibe as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, I, I got the chance to speak to Mikel, which was great. And he was he was on good form. He seemed quite happy to be there. He was quite relaxed and... It was interesting, one of the things, and that uh, interview he did with Amy Lawrence last week, one of the things he mentioned was um, the cultural reset and trying to enforce uh, all the history of Arsenal into the players and sort of so that they're more aware of what the club means. And I think Arteta and Edu are really good flag bearers for stuff like that. And I think having someone like Arsene Wenger, who's a living legend, who can come in and can exude all the greatness of the past, which Arsenal are trying to get back to, I think that's great. And one of the things Mikel spoke to us about was the, the photos of Arsene Wenger, which the players high five every time they go out to training, things like that. They're soft factors, but they matter. They might not seem like much, but they're big in terms of just fostering that culture of unity, which has been the buzzword for Arteta and all the interviews that we've seen coming out of Arsenal Football Club in the last 
few weeks. And I think it's sad that Wenger hasn't gone back. And in the documentary, he says that there's no reason for him to go back. I don't think that's true. I, I, I don't think I'm... I would be happy if sort of that olive branch that you mentioned from Vinay Edu and Mikel Arteta is extended to him and he, he takes them up on that opportunity because I think it's important that he feels able to come back because Arsenal, what it is today, is because he built it that way. And I think if he wants to come back and I think he's got an important role to play in ensuring that sort of the traditions of Arsenal, which he upheld so well during his time in charge, are continued for years to come because I think they did get lost a little bit towards the end of his era, maybe a bit under Unai Emery and sort of at the start of Mikel Arteta's era. But I think Arteta's done a really good job of just that cultural reset, bringing Arsenal back to its basics and the foundations of why it means so much. And I think that's why maybe fans are finding it so easy to connect with this team right now. So Arsene Wenger definitely has a big part to play in that. And I, I think it'd be great for him to come back. And I, I don't think there's any negatives that can be spun from him returning to the Emirates Stadium. I think there's only positive things that can come from that. What do you think will be the difference then between, like, for example, because we know that Sir Alex Ferguson is is always at Manchester United and he's quite influential behind the scenes. I don't always think that that's great. I think that yeah. that can have negative impacts. But given the fact that Arsene hasn't come back and given the fact that he's made a, a, a huge point of keeping a distance, do you feel like we wouldn't have to deal with those issues that Manchester United perhaps have as a consequence of, uh, of of Alex Ferguson almost lingering in the background. I mean, every time United lose or don't perform, the camera pans to Ferguson. Could that be a problem with us? Or, or do you think that it's a different situation? I think it's a bit different just because of the way things ended with Arsenal, with Arteta at Arsenal. So obviously when Ferguson left, he was top of the game and Manchester United haven't won a league title since. Uh, when Wenger left Arsenal, they were outside of the Champions League and they've not really been back in the Champions League since. So I think if Arsenal do struggle, then obviously the cameras would pan to Wenger and that's to be expected. But I think it is a negative for Manchester United. Like you say, with Solskjaer, I think it's also it's almost become a bit of a parody the way he just constantly brings up the treble winning side of 99. Oh, this is how we did it under Ferguson. This is how we've always done it. So this is how we have to continue to do it. I think that sort of becomes, you become a bit stuck in the ways of the past. And I think that's a big problem with Manchester United in terms of Solskjaer doesn't really seem to have his own tactics. He's trying to imitate what um, Ferguson used to do. But I think the difference is Arteta is very much his own man. He's got influence from Pep. He's got influences from David Moyes. He's got influences from plenty of other coaches who he's worked with. And he did say, I asked him actually, how much is Wenger sort of influencing what you're doing with Arsenal right now? He said, Obviously a lot, but I need to be my own man and I need to carry it forward in my own way. So I think it would be different from the way Ferguson is at Manchester United. And I don't think Wenger would have the same influence. You talk about Ferguson calling Ronaldo to change his mind to get him to sign for Manchester United. I don't think Wenger would have that sort of sway over any Arsenal signings. And I think that's good. I think there does need to be a distance, but I think there also needs to be a welcoming place for Arsene Wenger. I don't, for example, there's lots of suggestions that maybe he should come back a board level or in an advisory role, I don't think that would be good in terms of moving on. But I do think he should be allowed to be in and around the club in most capacities that he sees fit. And I think it would be different from the way Ferguson is at Manchester United, for sure. Yeah, at the very least, he should feel like he can attend a game yeah. of football, yeah, which yeah. is, 100%. You know, I guess, the bottom line. Uh, big hello to everybody who's watching us live at the moment. I hope you're all well. Uh, big hello to everybody who'll be watching this back later on or listening to it via our podcast platforms. I uh, hope you're all good. I want to say a big thank you to BVB09, who's just signed up to become a member 
of the channel. If you'd like to do so and support us at the Chronicles of Aguna, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. Um, we'd love to have you as part of the Chronicles of Aguna family. And uh, thank you, BBB09, for signing up. Um, we're going to take some of your questions in a little bit, but I just wanted to uh, pick Kaya's brains a little bit more on, on kind of the event last night and, and what he took away from the film. One of the things um, I I found fascinating over so the, the last two nights have been crazy for me, right? And we normally put podcasts out um, twice a day sometimes, and we haven't over the last couple of days, and that's because I've been um, on the go twenty four seven. Yesterday I was on the radio, and then I went straight to the Venga premiere on Monday. Uh, I was doing some work with ninety men, and then I was at the uh, David Dean and Arsene Wenger night at the Palladium. So it's been crazy, but what? what has really struck me and we, we've touched on it quite a bit already is, you know, seeing some of those big, powerful, historic figures at Arsenal kind of um, coming together for those two events has obviously been, been really impressive. Do you think that there would have been the same unity had Arsenal not shown some signs over the last sort of two, three months of progress? Because it feels like the mood around the club is, is, is a much better one. And you feel like people are starting to feel reinvested again? It's a really good question. Um, I don't know if Edu and Mikel Arteta would have been at the Premier if Arsenal had just come off the back of a 5-0 defeat to Manchester City, for example. I think they would have been sort of sitting ducks for any sort of media criticism. And I don't think they would have been so willing to speak to us and the press. I don't think they would have been so willing to be seen to be having a good time when Arsenal are struggling. But when the atmosphere is a lot more positive around the club, yeah, I think it makes it easier for players and ex-players and coaching staff and everyone associated with the club to be seen, to be relaxing. But I think just because people, when you're winning, they're a lot more willing to forgive you for a lot more stuff. And that's just the way it goes with football. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I don't think we would have seen such a uh, an outward display of sort of openness from Arsenal if they were in a state where they were losing. Obviously, when the first international break came, Edu did that interview um explaining the transfer strategy but that was it pretty much Arsenal kept a pretty closed house if you were trying to get in touch with them it was quite difficult to get anything out of them during that international break at the moment they're a lot more open I think and they're doing a lot more stuff on social media but I think a lot of the way Arsenal are progressing right now is being done under the radar so I think there's not been that much focus on how well Arsenal have done in recent months and I don't think there's enough focus on the fact that Arsenal haven't lost a game since August and how impressive that is to be honest but I think that's a good thing and I think Mikel Arteta will be quite keen to sort of stay under the radar and not really grab too much attention because there's no need to put any pressure on this side and they're a young side so there's no need to to force anything but I think yeah positivity is a, is a huge reason as to why we saw so many um, of the stars past and present of Arsenal at the Premier last night. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that was really uh, interesting for me as well was I was involved in a conversation um, between a couple of journalists, myself and Edu. Now, it was one of those conversations that was pretty much one way, but I was standing in the little circle and yeah, I got gassed about it. I'm not going to lie. Um, but Edu was talking about some of the transfer activity that Arsenal had done over the summer and he was literally he was stopped kind of in the corridor and, and this conversation began and just happened to be there and happened to kind of listen in and one of the things Edu said was we know that there's still loads of work to do yeah and the the particular journalist who posed the question to him said you took a massive risk in the summer gambling big money on on the players that you did 
and Edu really acknowledged that and understood that you know people would see it like that and he said yeah we know that it was a big gamble we know it was a big risk but there's still loads and loads to be done and loads of work to be done for me that was quite refreshing to know that Edu doesn't think that the job is done now because we've bought five six players in who have come in and performed really well that Arsenal still know there is a lot to be done a lot more to improve on that gives me confidence in in the focus of of Edu and Arteta and the setup around him What's your impressions of Edu? Because he's been, since he took the role, he's given a few interviews. And and I always find that the reaction to the interviews that Edu gives has been mixed. You get some people who say it's just a PR spin. You get other people who say, well, you know, actually, I, I quite like what he's saying. I'm, I'm quite buying into what he's saying. Where are you on Edu? Because I think he's done a really good job. I think I'm more on your side of things. I think he's done a really good job as well. I think... Obviously, those early links with Keir Jarabjian and some of the agents-led, contact-led thing, I don't think that gave him the best of starts. I'd be interested to know how much control he had over that side of things and how much it was Raul Sané. Of course, he would have been signing off on transfers as director of football, but it'd be interesting to know how much of the groundwork was done for those signings before. He's really good at those sort of public-facing um, roles and speaking to the press and speaking to people. And I think that comes from his time with Brazil, where the technical director, when the squad is being announced, is often sat next to the manager and they do press conferences. And I think that's pretty normal. And he seems quite willing to to speak and answer questions directly. And I think that's positive. And you mentioned them not thinking that the job's not done. I think that was echoed by Josh Kroenke as well in the interview he did over the weekend. He said, we know we've invested a lot. We know we've rebuilt the squad, but there's still a long way to go. And I think that's really refreshing that Arsenal have been humble enough to actually admit that and to just take a step back and think, right, we're going to get younger. This is how we're going to do it and we're going to invest. And it's going to be a risk, but it's a risk we're willing to take. And if we're going to come sixth in the Premier League, I think Arsenal and Arsenal fans would much rather they do so with a young, exciting side than with a team full of players like a Willian, uh, like a David Luiz, who are maybe a bit older and over their career, over the hill in their career, where you maybe think there's not much scope for improvement. Whereas whatever happens with this Arsenal side this season, there's always going to be a feeling that things can get better because the squad is so young. And I think that is credit to, to Edu. I think he's done a good job. I think the job they did this summer was fantastic. The only criticism I'd have was not being able to get players out of the club. But that's, of course, tricky in COVID times and tricky at the best of times when no club really wants to be ripped off, but no club at the same time wants to have to cling on to players they don't want. So it, it's, it's a tricky balance. And I think that's difficult. But I think for the most part, Eddie's done a good job. I do kind of sympathise with him when those criticism come of him saying he's doing PR and the interviews. I kind of feel like what else is he supposed to say? He's not going to come out and criticise Arteta. He's not going to come out and criticise the players. So if you're looking for that from him, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you're looking, if you're sort of looking at it with a fair lens and realistic about what you can expect from the director of football to actually say out loud in public, I think Eddie does a really good job. And I think the work he's doing is really being shown on the pitch at Arsenal right now, especially with the signings they've made so far. Totally agree, mate. Totally agree. And I think there's always this thing, isn't there, with with football fans where they say, oh, for God's sake, just be honest. You know, just, just say it how it is. How many regular people would go out in the public domain and slag off their boss? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Nobody. Absolutely. I remember after the Super League stuff, everyone was saying, well, why didn't Arteta come out and criticise the Cronkies? That the many pages pays his wages. Like it's you're not you wouldn't expect him to come out and say that kind of thing. It's a similar thing with Edu and all the things above him. He's not going to come out and publicly cause 
a PR storm because he wouldn't be doing his job if if he did. So I think we have to be realistic about what we expect publicly from him. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I took away from the night at the the London Palladium, and and so this is this is going off of topic a little bit, but it felt to me like obviously you know David Dean. You, you mentioned the word bitterness earlier on about you know maybe how Wenger feels. I think David Dean certainly feels that towards Arsenal. Um, I think he tried really hard to hide it, but I think it came across. Um, and, and listen, I, I don't want to criticise David Dean because he obviously done wonderful things for the football club. But I just, I guess for me, with somebody like David Dean, he is so well connected. He is so powerful still in the kind of footballing world. That for me is something that can be unhelpful at times because you've got this this group of players that, you know, are, are of the older guard that have a, a huge loyalty to him. And I feel like some of the relationship between some of those old players and the club today have maybe been impacted by the fact that some of those players feel like David Dean was wronged. So is it, you know, is it, uh, all these issues that we're talking about and like maybe disconnects and things that we've seen crop up over the last few years, is it something deep or is it something that we should just expect when there's a breakaway between parties? I think it's uh, something to expect when there's a breakaway between parties, but I think Arsenal are aware of it. And I think they're trying to fix it in terms of the disconnect between the club and the ex-pros. So you see David Seaman, for example, coming back and helping out with the academy kids, helping out with Aaron Ramsdale and the first team, things like that. I know that Arsenal were quite keen to bring Martin Keown back to the club, not in any sort of official role, but just to show him around and show him what they're doing. I think most of those players, ex-players who have a public persona and who are present in the media, Arsenal are quite keen to ensure that they're aware of what they're doing so that the criticism of the club is always sort of tapered with that, uh, I guess, the caveat that that this is Arsenal's long-term plan. And I think they're quite clear, quite keen to express that with clarity. So that's important. And I think... It's to be expected when there's a breakaway, I guess, for a bit of negativity to come out. And personally, I think David Dean leaving was a bad thing for the club. If you look at how good a job he did and some of the negotiations he pulled off, I think in um, the book about the Invincibles, there's a fascinating story about how he was able to secure the sign of Gilberto. From, I think it was Fluminense, maybe, and how he slept on the doorstep to ensure it was done or something like that. He's, he's very devoted to his job. He's, he was very good at his job. So I think... It was sad to see him go, but I think, yeah, you have to expect some sort of negativity to come when there's a break-off. But I think Arsenal were aware of it and that's something they're trying to address and something they're trying to work on, which, again, is only a positive thing. Who do you think that's being driven by? Because I, I agree with you. There is certainly a push to reconnect the old players with the current club. Maybe it's, you know, some people will call it a PR stunt because naturally with all these players or a lot of these players having a big presence in the media, that will give you you know, favourable kind of reviews or even some, even if that's subconsciously, you know, you, you know that if Pundit's feel engaged, a bit like Gary Neville now is like reluctant to, to have a go at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you end up in a place where those reviews are not scathing and then that doesn't yeah. drive the kind of negative influence that we've seen surrounding Arsenal for so many years. Do you think that's been driven by Mikel Arteta? Do you think it's been driven by Edu? Where, where do you think this is coming from? I think it comes from Mikel. I think one of the first things he spoke about when he came into the club was culture. It wasn't what they were doing on the pitch. It was the culture around the whole club. And his transition from head coach to manager means that he's setting the tone for a lot of the way Arsenal are going in terms of their culture. And he's someone who, the second he came into the club, he came from a smaller team and he, I think, got it very quickly. And I think that's why Arsenal fans 
connected with him, connected with Per Mertesacker so quickly because he gets it and he gets what the history is about and he gets how important that is to a club. And I think that's maybe from the fact he came up with La Masia and in Barcelona, where they're obviously so keen on instilling the history into young players and how important the values of the club and that kind of things are. So I think, yeah, Mikel is driving that cultural reset. And I think if you you speak to him, you speak to people around the club, he's very keen on ensuring character is as important as what you're doing on the pitch. Obviously, you need to be producing on the pitch. And you need to be successful in what you're doing in your job. But character is one of the few, one of the things, if you look at, for example, when he talks about the signing of Aaron Ramsdale, the first thing he mentions generally is the player's character. So that kind of cultural thing and the kind of cultural shift to, I think, be a bit more welcoming to ex-pros and a bit more, I guess, all-encompassing in the way they they go for, if you want to call it a public relations strategy, I think that's fair. I think that's coming from Mikel and I think it's a really smart move and I think it's a really clever way because this is going to be a long-term project for Arsenal that we're seeing right now. I think it's a really clever way to get people on board quite quickly. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. We are going to take some of your questions in a few minutes time. So start chucking them in the chat box. Make sure you pop a cue at the beginning of the question. It just makes it easier for me to pick them out from the chat. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed. If you are new and if you're listening via the audio platforms, make sure you leave us a review. Um, but before we go on to the questions, Kai, I just wanted to get your thoughts, mate, on Arsenal in general at the moment. You know, a lot of people going into the season were on the fence about Mikel Arteta. I repeatedly said that this would be the season I judged him on. I felt like last season was his first full... Well, it was his first full season. I felt it was harsh to draw too many conclusions we did a lot of business in the summer, which meant that the team now looks very, very different to what it looked like previously. I think for me, you know, I, I want to see Arsenal finish at least in the top six this season. I think that's what I need to to completely or, or to continue to be bought into what it is we're doing and to continue to feel engaged and, and feel like we are moving in the right direction. What have you made of the start to this season? And, what have you, and, and where are you in terms of your expectations at the minute? So the very start of the season was obviously not great. I think that's that's not exactly a hot take to say that bottom of the league conceding, was it 10 goals or nine goals? Um, zero scored was pretty much as bad as it could get. But I think with the timings of the transfers and the way the international break came along, you can sort of separate the two. I know it's you can't just wipe those games off the board. You can't have a 35-game season. You have to include them. But I think since Mikel Arteta got the men he wanted in the transfer window and since he's been able to actually input them into the side Arsenal haven't lost a game so I think that's a sign of how well he's doing as a coach and I think the transfer strategy this summer was done with a clear plan in mind so I think that's that's it's right to, to judge Arteta now I think he needs a bit of criticism for last season for what he did I think if you look to those Villarreal semi-finals for example I think he got it wrong in big games and that was poor but I think a lot of a lot of what he's done this season has been right and yeah I'm pretty positive about Arsenal. I, I know Anfield is the next sort of game and I'm, I'm wary that that's probably going to slap my, my optimism down very quickly and that'll be quite a reality check just because of Arsenal's record at Anfield in recent seasons. But they're progressing nicely and the way they're playing against teams who are in and around them and the way the Premier League is shaping up this season in terms of obviously the top three seem to be breaking away. Well, Liverpool are actually in fourth now, but it seems like it's going to be a three-way title race between Chelsea, City and Liverpool. That fourth spot, seems to be up for grabs and even the teams around it. I don't think there's any real consistent threat. And I think if Arsenal are able to keep up this form, they can definitely finish in the top six. And I think it's getting to the, the point now where it would be disappointing if Arsenal didn't 
finish in the top six. So yeah, that's that's the aim. And um, in answer to your question, what do I think about Arsenal? It, it's broadly positive. I think there are areas that need to improve. I think the midfield could still get a little bit better. I think in terms of controlling games, Arsenal struggle. So I think they're quite willing to see possession to the opposition and give them control. I think the Watford game, Watford were down to 10 men. They still had control for those last 10, 15 minutes. That was a bit worrying. It was the same against Leicester. And I think they need to work on that. But there's areas to improve. And with such a young side, you'd expect that to be the case. So definitely positive for Arsenal right now. And I think, optimistically, I'm saying this before the Liverpool game, so maybe you'll throw this back at me after that. But I think things are only going to get better. Yeah, I feel like that as well. That's the kind of... The gut feeling, that's the the kind of, I don't want to, I hate using this word, but that's the kind of vibe at the moment <laughs> around yeah. Arsenal. Um, let's take this question from Doug S. Otto. And and I, I think this is, it's not something that I agree with, but it is something that I think a lot of people feel. And it's something we should probably discuss. And, you know, Wenger, we already talked about it, said in the film that he had opportunities to leave. We all knew that he had opportunities to leave, but he kind of expressed some regret in the Q&A after the film yesterday, didn't he, at not doing so. Where are you on this? Because one of the things I have struggled to get my head around is we're constantly being led to believe that the relationship between Arsene and Arsenal right now is broken. So much so that he can't even come to the club. Why is he reluctant then, in that case, to have a go at the club? Or, or to kind of shift the blame to the club. Is he that loyal? Is it just his character that he doesn't want to be that guy? Is it that he feels deep down that actually he was to blame for a lot of it? I, 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 I always struggle with this. I think his character plays a big part. I think if he's not a Jose Mourinho, he's not going to come out and try and deflect and make sure everyone else but him gets the blame. And I think if you look at his book, the way he avoided a lot of the more, I guess, juicier bits of his career... I think that's a sign because he was in control of the book, whereas this film was less in his control. Yeah. So I think that was a sign of just the kind of guy he is. And so I think, I don't think he necessarily wants to shift the entire blame onto the club. And I think he's aware of how that would come across in the press. He's always been very aware of how the press deal with stories. And I think he knows that there's no need to put this sort of negative spin on Arsenal right now. And I think deep down he is an Arsenal fan and he wants the club to do well. So now that he's not in charge, I think he still supports them. And he said in that Q&A, he still kicks every ball, still defends every set piece, he still attacks from every corner. So he's, you know, he's he still lives and breathes Arsenal. And in answer to that direct question, I think excuses are difficult to make. But if you look at the financial disparities between Arsenal and a team like City, Chelsea, during that period in the second half of his career where Arsenal declined, Arsenal were moving into the, the stadium, the new Emirates Stadium. They didn't have the money to compete. And getting into those Champions League places looking back on it now, was an incredible achievement. And I think Arsenal obviously declined towards the end. And I think he did sort of start to lose it a bit towards those final few seasons. But I don't think it's fair to say that he let Arsenal fall as if he was actively trying to do it. I think yeah. it's something that he, if he could have done it better, he would have done it. And maybe if you look at why he wasn't sort of moved on a little bit earlier, that's something that can be blamed more at the people above him in the club necessarily than him himself, because I don't think he seemed like the kind of guy who was ever going to walk away. He's always the optimist and he was always believing that he could finally make that step to turn Arsenal into a Premier League winning team again. And so, yeah, I think that's that's probably a fair way to look at it. Yeah. 
Good stuff. Uh, BX Gunner says he should have left after 0708. Club went to shit after that mentality and identity was killed off. He's responsible for our ultimate struggles. I think this is massively unfair yeah. to say that he's responsible because what you're suggesting is that he is solely responsible. And we all know that is not the case. And what I am starting to wonder now, Kaya, is in light of these recent events that, that we've been to, he said yesterday, when he says in the film, doesn't he? I can't remember the exact quotes. So you'll have to forgive me, but I'm paraphrasing. But basically, you know, he said Highbury was his soul. And he said that Emirates was his struggle. Is that suffering? Is suffering. suffering. That's it. Yeah. Um, I knew I'd messed up the quote. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he said Highbury was his soul and the Emirates was his suffering. Now, at the time of the stadium being built and all the plans being made, we were very much led to believe that Arsene Wenger was the guy pushing it was the guy trying to make it happen and the guy essentially forcing it through. Do you agree with me that the more I'm seeing, the more I'm starting to think that I'm not saying he was against it, but it doesn't feel like it was solely being driven by him. No, I think it's interesting. David Dean in the in the documentary, he says we had a 50,000 seat waiting list. We needed to move. We needed to evolve. And David Dean was always someone looking forward to the future. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's fair to entirely put the blame on him like that, that question does. Um, I'd say that there was plenty of other factors, like we've already mentioned, the the debt, the the fact that other teams became um, a lot more wealthy and able to compete. But I think there's a, a degree of fairness in the question that did he make mistakes by becoming overly technical and not focusing on the fighters, the players like Vieira, the, the, the team he took over in terms of that mentality, um, and Adams, Dixon, Keown, that kind of back four that we all know so well. But at the same time, we have to be wary that Arsenal had to sell their best players at their prime age during that time. And they had to sign players who were 21, 22. I don't know if you know many 21, 22-year-olds who are capable in football of having that winning mentality and that strength by themselves, let alone a full team of them. So there's a balance to be found and there are excuses to be made. And yeah, he deserves criticism, but I don't think it's fair to say that it was entirely his fault. And I think, yeah, there were other factors at play, like you mentioned. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, Kaya, I think we're going to leave it there, mate. It's been a, a great chat. Um, lots of uh, fantastic insight, fantastic opinions. Um, I'm still buzzing after last night. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was incredible. And the film is incredible. So make sure you check it out. If you're interested as well, uh, I conducted an interview last week with Gabriel Clark, the co-director of the film, which you can find on this channel. Uh, you can find it on all our podcast platforms as well. Gabriel sat with me, talked about the process of making the film, working with Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson's involvement, and lots, lots more. So check it out if you haven't done so already. If you are looking forward to the film, I'm sure you'll enjoy that particular interview. Uh, Kaya, do you want to let everybody know or they already know who you are, but do you want to let them know how they can follow you, where they can find your excellent work? Uh, yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at KayaKinet97, on Facebook as well at KayaKinet Journalist. I won't call the word excellent myself, but you can find it on the London website as well. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm all around on social media. So you can find all the good stuff there. Hold on a second. Is the 97 because you were born in 97? Yes, I'm oh, 24 man, years old. Oh feel old. <laughs> were you talking oh, about man. all the the early moves to the Emirates? I was like, oh god, I was I was under ten. I'm gonna have to try and remember a long <laughs> way back there. But yeah, yeah. Oh man, that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff, Kaya. Thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate having you on, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Thank you for having me. Cheers, guys. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast.
I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 